It's the same in sport because, especially in the Western countries, like your Manchester United, your Barcelona's, your LA Lakers, probably your Western Force, your All Blacks, your Springboks, they've got an army of people who would eat a glass to work, wanting to work for them. But you're not going to get there overnight, okay? You have to build the time. You have to build a relationship. I'm very well, thank you. My pleasure to join you. Arman Alawalia. Thank you so much, Eugenie. This is uh, quite an honor. I appreciate you uh, you extending the offer to, to come here and speak today. Pedro Diaz-Rudal. First of all, thanks for having me and excited you know, to be part of this podcast. Ronan Doniger. Huge. Thank you very much. I suppose, first of all, for having me on your show. Dean Butchen. The key point is ask, 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 and never give up. And welcome to ePROcast. Hey everybody, and welcome to a new episode of ePROcast. I'm your host, The Big E, and damn, it's been a long time since the last episode. And I wanted to give a shout out and say a huge thank you to everyone who reached out during this time and asked what happened, where I disappeared. Guys, I didn't disappear. Long story short, got caught in a lot a lot of work with huge projects on the line and sometimes you have to prioritize things. So um, I'm really excited to be back and continue this role of the awesome stories of professionals and entrepreneurs in the sports industry. So I'm really excited to be back. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone who engaged with the content so far. I've been receiving notifications, people starting to follow to comment and share the pod and i'm really excited and really grateful for that in today's episode i flew virtually to malaysia and i'm really excited to share this conversation i had with ben ibrahim the general manager at malaysia falke the rugby team who took part in the first ever global rapid rugby and we talked more about this new concept of a new competition in rugby and what is the concept, uh, how did it go, the metrics and everything, uh, what does it take to launch a new competition like this. So really excited about this, especially with Ben's background and story about how he got in the sports industry, coming from a very traditional family where there's kind of the same thing as in Eastern Europe, a lot of traditional stuff like you have to be a finance guy or a lawyer or a doctor, etc. But he went against the system and now he is in sports business. So really excited to share this interview with, with Ben. I hope you enjoy it and get a lot of value. If you find it interesting and you connect with the story, reach out to Ben on his social platforms. All the links will be in the episode notes. So without further ado, let's dive right into this episode. Enjoy. I'm really excited to fly virtually to Malaysia and have a chat with Ben Ibrahim, the general manager uh, at Malaysia Valke, the uh, team uh, that took part in the first ever Global Rapid Rugby. Ben, thanks for taking the time to join the, the pod and share your awesome story. No, Eugene, thanks for having me so much. I'm really honored, real pleasure to be here. And I really commend you for the work that you're trying to do on your podcast. It looks very professional, sounds great, and the topics are absolutely fantastic. And what I like about your podcast is that it's actually very global. So good job. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. Well, you're also into this, uh, well, let's say COVID made you start your own show. And uh, why, before before we'll dive into all this, uh, all this awesome and awesome story of yours and how you got to where you are right now. Um, you are the host of the Sunday uh, Learnings with Ben Ibrahim. How that idea came to your mind? No, it's a very good question. That was this. I'm, my background before sports management was a TV presenter, which I still freelance in. And basically, you know, I do some commentary, I do some TV presenting, I do some master of ceremonies work. I used to work for Fox Sports. And sometimes I do a odd gig for them. But basically, I'm the last generation of TV presenters before the Facebook, Instagram, digital revolution. I, I started doing this job in 2005. I know I sound like a bit of a grandfather, but it is what it is. And as TV presenters, we are very spoiled. You know, we're spoiled in the sense that someone, a TV network is going to call us on the phone and say, hey, Ben, you know, we'd like you to host this show. You know, you, you've got a producer. You've just got to come up with the question. You've just got to work with the producer and everything will be hunky-dory, whether it's a live or pre-recorded format. Now, those days are gone. And COVID has pretty much sealed the deal for that generation of how things were previously done. So I said to myself, OMG, I mean, I went, I mean, I was doing the Feast of the World University games in terms of basketball, football or soccer, as they call it in Australia, you know, virtual games. I was doing the rugby as well. So, and, and other tournaments as well in other parts of the world. But it all just stopped because of COVID. And in this job, I know it sounds superficial and I know it sounds a bit narcissistic, but if you're not visible, people will forget you, no matter how talented you are. Okay? So I so my wife said, you better get off your butt and stay in the picture. Literally, I mean, no pun intended. So I said, all right, you know, I'll do it. You know, I drag my feet, you know, because you have to do your own editing, you have to do your own business development, you have to do your own scripts and A, B, C, and D. So Kind of long story short, I said, okay, I like interviewing people, like you're about to interview me now. You know, I like asking the tough questions. So I'll use, as a commentator, you have a lot of contacts, and I'll be silly if I don't use these contacts. So I said, look, put a show on a Sunday, twice a month, every fortnight, some, I mean, get a really good guest, and you know, and let people learn from that guest on a Sunday. You learn something on a Sunday. So that's how it started. I've done 13 episodes. I've had some pretty good guests like Raylene Carson, the former CEO of Rugby Australia. I've had Tony Kenfu, a Wallaby Rugby World Cup winner. Renee Naylor, the physiotherapist. And back Allen, who's the shooting guard for the Australian Uncles women's team. So I've got some other good content coming up. I won't tell you too much about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been good. It's, it's hard work. It's such hard work. It's not funny. You would know. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, hard work makes the dream work. Absolutely. And uh, I'll encourage the listeners uh, of the pod to go and uh, check it out on YouTube. The Sunday Thank Lunch you. with Thank Ben you. Abraham. Uh, yeah. Thank you. You'll definitely enjoy it. I listened to the last one. It was really cool. Um, it was really, really cool. So, um, uh, Ben, before, before getting deeper into global uh, rapid rugby, I love personally the concept and the idea behind it. Why don't you share uh, how you uh, connected your life with sports, with commentating in sports, with what you do right now, um, and of course to the point where you got into this uh, awesome uh, competition, the Global Rapid Rugby. 
okay, well, I've got, I'll start it off with a very emotional, sad story because in our, what some people don't realize, and that's not their fault, our culture of Asia, very, very traditional. We listen to our parents. We're not like the Western countries where, generally speaking, where, you know, that as young adults or young teenagers, when you become a young adult, you make your own decision. But in Asia, the culture is your parents make your decisions for you in terms of what you eat, how you sleep, where you study. Study is very important. Until, uh, uh, sorry for interrupting, until when is that? Because it's interesting because we have the same thing here, but it depends on the age. Yeah, um, pretty much till when you're married. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you live, the, the culture is by many Asian families, you live at home until you want to get married and then you move out. Wow. So if you, yeah, if you were to say, oh, I want to move in with a girlfriend, they'll just look at you and say, what? You know, and who do you think, you know, that's how traditional we are. Right. So it is what it is, you know. I mean, some people are not so traditional, but most Asians in general are very traditional. On that note, my parents said to me, even though they sent me to a boarding school in Australia at a very young age, they really called the shots for my life. You know, they said, okay, when you're in university, you're going to study this. When you start with career, you're going to do be this. And I said, okay, what is that? I said, you're going to, okay, you're going to study HR because that's what you've got into university. And when you when you start with career, you're going to become try to become a HR director. I was like, well, I already know what I want, and I I knew what I wanted at 13 years of age. I want to work in sports. Okay, so I wanted to study exercise physiology, biomechanics, and also a minor in journalism because I like to write. I mean, not so much talk at the time, but I like to write, you know. But my parents, you know, typical Asian family, they were saying, oh, no, no, you can't. That's a very tough industry. You can't put food on the table. It's a, it's a very, it's like trying to be an actor, really. That's how they saw it. Anyway, we argued for six years, from 18 to 24, from the age of 18 to 24, we argued for six years. But being an international student in Australia, the fees were very expensive, which I couldn't afford. So they said, look, who's funding this degree? I said, well, if you put it that way, you've already won the battle. So, but I'm very stubborn. I'm very persistent. When I came back to Malaysia, suddenly I developed, at 24 years of age, I developed this very deep voice. A lot of people said it's a nice voice for voiceovers and commentary and whatnot. And because of my knowledge of sport and because I went to, I lived in a country that treats sports like a religion, that in Australia, and so I, I mean, I went to this big sporting school. I loved it. I did rowing, I did rugby, I did Australian football, I played soccer, I played lacrosse, I played hockey, you name it. Everything I did, I did. So, but the two main sports that I got into was rugby and rowing, which were, which were very similar in terms of skill set. And you know what? And uh, I, was a, I was a rowing coach when I was at university. I was involved in the rowing scene over there. I was a touchdown, the referee. When I was in university, so I was even though I rocked up the class, uh, those HR classes in terms of learning all those management theories, I was never really there. I was always thinking about the rugby pitch and trying to become a better referee or trying to become a better coach. You know, reading books about exercise physiology and biomech and sports science and using data to improve performance. I think that's where my passion was. So anyway, when I got back to Malaysia, God is great, as we say here in Asia. I stumbled, even though my parents wanted me to have a corporate career, I stumbled into a media career. So I said to myself, okay, you know what? Uh, I seem to be lucky with sports presenting and business presenting. So, okay, I'm not going to get to the, to the Olympic Games with this body because I'm not very, I'm not an athlete. <laughs> and I, 
I didn't want to lose my hair. So, you know, that's how you lose your hair to become a coach. So I said, all right. And I, I probably was a bit too old to go back to university to study sports science. And I was having a lot of luck with sports commentary and media and broadcast. I said, okay, I'll stick with this line, try to get good at it. And maybe I was put on this earth to do that very particular job. So, and God bless, I've had a lot of, when we say Riziki in Malaysia, which means gift from God, is that I've had a lot of Riziki and luck with commentary and broadcast. And it's taken me to where I am today. And the thing about broadcast is not just about broadcasting. I call it the ultimate business development job. That you get to meet a lot of people from various industries all the time. So, it, which always helps. And, and I, over the years, I've transformed myself also to a communications and sports business development person. So, these skill sets and relationships come in hand. That's, I, I followed you on, you know, I, I did a little bit of research on, on your LinkedIn page and so on and all your journey. And it's really awesome because you touched a lot of areas in the sports industry, which is really cool. And getting to the project that was born in 2019, the Global Rapid Rugby, I think it's going to be really valuable. But first of, first of all, let, let's get our audience uh, to get uh, them more familiar with the project. What is that about and um, how, how the, the, uh, the, the competition was born and who founded it and what's, what's the deal with it? Okay, well, it's really funny that I interviewed Raylene Castle my recent Sunday Learnings with Ben, which just came out. I mean, you can go to the YouTube channel and have a look. But Raylene Castle is a very, sorry to say that she's a very nice lady, but she's also a very infamous, dangerous name in Australian rugby. I mean, and I don't mean that as a criticism because she was the CEO of Australian rugby. And don't quote me, I shouldn't be quoted on this, but I have a feeling that she was part of the group of Australian rugby and Sansa that exited the Western Force in 2017. Right. The Western Force, the Western Australian team that played in Super Rugby, the ultimate Southern Hemisphere provincial competition with the likes of the Crusaders, the Sharks, the Bulls from South Africa, and all those very good teams from Australia, New Zealand, and Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa, and now Argentina. So the, but what Australian Rugby or what Sansa didn't realize, they were waking up a a giant, not a sleeping giant, a giant. Okay, they were making the, they were pissing off a giant, if I could be so crude and use those words, because the Western Force is owned by a mining billionaire and also a tycoon in Australia, a guy called Andrew Forrest. Super nice guy, you know, really good PR, passion as anything. So he said, look, I'm not taking this line now. Lobby for the Western Force to get back to the center. Unfortunately, he was unsuccessful, okay? And Andrew doesn't know what unsuccessful means. So he just said to Sansa, I had a strand rugby. Okay, you do it your way. I'm going to start my own rugby competition. And I'm going to do it, and I'll give birth to it in Asia. Which is very smart, very smart, yeah. okay? Because there's a, there's a lot of consumers in Asia to the numbers, okay? So he said, and... I'm going to start my own rugby, my own rules, a hybrid of rules, which is going to be running rugby. And yeah, my Western force is going to profit and this is going to go to another level. So, and, um, you know, he hired some really, really good people from not just rugby, from Australian rules football and other sports as well. They came to Global Rugby, they're based in Perth. 
and they just circled the globe. And Matt Hodgson is their director of rugby, former Australian Wallaby, who captained the Western Force once upon a time. He was a, he had all the contacts in the world. So he they reached out to Asian rugby unions and said, look, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna form you with certain clubs around the world and make this a tier one rugby competition. So even though your team, I'll use my example, the Malaysia Polka, Falcon yeah. is from South Africa in, in, in Johannesburg, even though you guys have been called the Malaysian Polka, 90% of your guys will be South African. Okay? Yeah. Very few of your guys will be Malaysian because they wanted, or Andrew wanted, as a tier one level competition. Right, right. But with an Asian brand to it. So, the, and you would think that the Asian teams or the regular unions would get very sensitive about it, but they just grabbed it and said, yeah, let's go because we get, we can build a world-class product in our own backyard, expose our guys to that level because all the, most of the nations that are involved are still from the tier three, tier four group. You know, we are in the likes of, you know, Russia or Hong Kong or South Korea, who's really just trying to break through and get into a World Cup, but okay, but, I also, yeah, but but I also see this as a as a nice pathway for the uh, for your local teams in uh, in uh, in Malaysia to work hard to to get on this uh, on this squad, which is really interesting. And of course, sadly, uh, COVID hit, but we'll talk about this in a second. But uh, yeah, if you can, like, go on. Sorry for interrupting. No, no, no problem. It's a, it's a coffee shop conversation. So. Basically, yeah, that's what so that's what Matt Hodgson was selling. And Matt Hodgson, because he's got so many great contacts from the Robbie Deans to, to the you know Robbie Deans from Japan, then Japan, and then the guys in New Zealand, guys in Australia, Argentina, Japan, really good contacts. There was talks about Dan Carter being a marquee player with one of the teams, you know, that kind of level. Yeah. So we were all like, oh, you know, rugby fans, we're excited as anything. You know, this kind of quality coming to Asia, because this kind of quality usually goes to either South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, or the, or the Six Nations nations, you know, or maybe to a certain degree, the island nations of Fiji, Western Samoa, and Tonga. So then that, that happened. So then they reached out to certain unions and they said, okay, let's put the partnership together. Unfortunately, that part of the journey took a bit longer than expected because everything's about black and white. And, you know, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of lawyers in rugby in any part of the world. So, you know, everything was very litigious going through that, you know, who, you know in terms of finances, revenue streams, legalities, contracts, pay, because it's a professional competition. So that took a little bit of time, but the rapid rugby were very, aggressive in a very good way that they started, they only came together in 2018, mid 2018. And they wanted to run this competition in March, 2019. So they came to Malaysia. I mean, they put us in touch with the Polka from South Africa. And it was basically Zoom calls from about May till about October. And then in November, December, the Polka came down to Malaysia. And we had a big meeting and we met Houston and Brad, the then CEO, Brad Patch. Who's, who's no longer with them, but nice guy, I'm still in touch with him. They all came down, they just came down for the day, sat in the room, put all the TLAs together, 
and said, okay, this is the template. This is what's going to happen. This is how much you're going to guys going to get from us because they they give us a grant to get things going. And yeah, you know what it's like when you put money on the table. You know, people start asking a lot of questions, and there's a bit of you know like misinterpretation of where things should be used. So needed to be very very focused in the chip. And you know what? At the end of the day. A lawyer is a lawyer and said, no, 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 no. It must go through this process, this process, this process. And I just did around with the lawyers and said, no, if you're not going to follow every process under the sun, we're never going to get this competition started. All right? Yeah. So, let, uh, yeah, you know, let's, I, I appreciate what you do. No disrespect. Everything must be in black and white, but we've got to move fast. Yeah. So, but, you know, we, it was, we played some exhibition matches in 2019, went to Perth. That was a great trip, even though we got our ass whooped by the mighty Western horse. And uh, yeah, you know, we started, we started, we couldn't start until 2020, but very much global rapid rugby. The unique selling point of global rapid rugby is less kicking, a lot of running. So it was like, because we wanted to attract non-rugby people. If you watch a rugby game, and I mean, we rugby people, we love it, but the way the game is heading, is, it, it's got to do something about its current, where it's currently at. Because if you watch the 2000, I mean, I'm a big Springbok fan, ironically. But if you watch the 2007 Rugby World Cup, it was just a lot of kicking. If you watch the 2019 Rugby World Cup, it was a lot of forwards play, you know, breakdown, the rolling mall and so forth and so forth. People like you and I would understand that perfectly. But what about other people? What about people like my wife, who likes the sport, but doesn't understand a thing because the referee's blowing his whistle every three seconds? collapsing of the wall, you know, not rolling away. And to people like my wife or her friends, they don't know that. Yeah. So if you always put rapid rugby in front of them, when everybody's just running around like, you know, a video game or an American football game or, what, or a touch rugby game, and it's exciting, you know, it's great to watch, you know, it's that athleticism and that, you know, the, the, the tackling. That is what it was what will turn a non-sports fan into a sports fan. So that's what Rakuni Rugby, the ethos that was trying to achieve. And I'm very confident we can still get there, despite our hiccups with COVID. Right. And um, the first edition brought together five teams, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not mistaken. The uh, Western... Four. Was it six? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, then I missed someone. So, uh, I, so you, were, you were the ones who uh, got most of the players from South Africa. Yeah, so basically, this, let me explain it very simply. We had the China Lions, yeah. who were 90% from Kiwiland, right. and, but they were based in New Zealand, which was a good thing because of COVID. Okay, if they were based in China, there would have been a massive, massive problem. There was us, the Malaysia Polka, Polka being from South Africa. There was the Southern Lions from Hong Kong, and that was basically made up of guys who are based in Hong Kong. Okay, and also some Heineken Cup players was in that team. They recruited some very good players. And then you had the, obviously the mighty Western Force, and then you had Fiji and Western Samoa. Okay, and right. they they were pretty much the Western Samoan and Fijian national team of very, very high quality. So we were like, wow, this is a shit hot standing, red hot standing competition. You know? And truth be told, you know, I mean, we always talk about it until today, where would we, where would we have finished? We were very confident that the Western Force would win it because they knew how to play the rules. But I think if we made, I think we were confident that it would have been a bun fight between us, Hong Kong, and China 
to make the final to play the Western Bulls. So because the, the quality was very, very, very good. That, that's awesome. And what what impact did it have uh, on um, on the local community rugby in Malaysia, for example, since you're there now? No, people got excited. You know, what, you know I mean, this just something new, something happening on the horizon. In Malaysian sport, we have nothing. We're a small country. Our biggest sporting heroes is our badminton team. You know, our hockey team hasn't qualified for the Olympics since the year 2000. We did, we did very well in Rio, then we won a number of silver medals, cycling, diving, and badminton, but still this country is still awaiting for a gold medal champion. So excitement was the word that was coming about. International, you know, Malaysians coming together with South Africans. South Africans fit very well in Malaysia because of their socioeconomic background. It's very similar to the socioeconomic how society is run here. We are, I mean, I'll give you an example. South Africa and Malaysia, we're very upfront about our affirmative action. We're very upfront about our racial, how we approach racial, racial society, multiracial society. In South Africa, you're either white, black, colored, or Indian. And it's in the, it's, it's on a form in a bank. Okay, tick, you're either this, this, or this. In Malaysia, you're either Malay, which is Muslim, Chinese, Indian, or you come from a mixed marriage. A lot of Westerners who move to Malaysia find that, well, very racial. They say, no, it's part of our culture. We're very upfront about it. Yeah. Okay? And that's just the way this country, both our countries are formed. So South Africans and Malaysians have always understood each other extremely well. A lot of our socioeconomic models are very, very similar. So it was excitement, two, two cultures coming together. Everybody got more excited while the world champions are coming to Malaysia. <laughs> you know, so things like that. And we could have created, I mean, could have created, we are creating something special, something historic, something different, and something that the sporting world and the entertainment world needed to see and want to see. No, I definitely enjoyed the how flowing the game was, you know, with less stoppages and so on. Um, definitely something new, and it kind of also, you know, uh, I really enjoyed the new concept, like, you know, global uh, rapid rugby and also the rugby X. I'm sure you heard about it. Uh, you know, you know, new concepts of rugby that really are more dynamic and, and uh, you know, and the global rapid rugby was more close, you know, closer to rugby 15s, whereas the, uh, the rugby X more towards the sevens and so on. Um, what was the overall feedback? And of course, if we're talking, we also can talk a bit of, uh, um, we understand that, you know, a new competition is very risky. Uh, if there's any, any financial results on how successful financially it was. Yeah. In terms of financial success, it's like the business, it's like any, I always like to compare any startup to a restaurant. Yeah. It's going to take a while for people to know the menu and, you know, really buy into everything. So we wouldn't have made money. Each team would not probably would not have made money until the third year. Okay. So because it takes a while to get sponsors. So that's why Rapid Rugby was very generous in terms of they gave us a grant. But they were very upfront. Said, this grant is just to help you get going. We do expect you to be standalone in a couple of years. Okay, cool, thank you very much. It was very generous of them. 
And without that ground, we couldn't have got started because, I mean, economies of scale, really, because the Malaysian ringgit is quite weak. The South African rand is even weaker, you know, compared to the New Zealand or the Australian dollar. So financially, it was a bit early to see those sort of financial breakthrough results like you would see in an American football team because the American football ethos is all about profit first. Success a very close second, like in terms of sporting high performance success. So, and I mean, I read a lot of books about NFL and how they do their business model and their revenue streams. It's very, very impressive. But one thing that the American people sometimes fail to forget, the American market is very lucky. They have a large consumer number. Their sports fans is bigger than any planet. I mean, it's probably bigger than Earth itself, you know? So that's such a huge country. In terms of the feedback, if I hear your question correctly, yeah. and forgive me if I'm misinterpreting the question, in terms of the feedback from the rugby community, it's really funny that you asked that question because it's a great question because I don't know if you remember Andrew Mertens and from the All Blacks. He was in the All Blacks team of 1995, the fly half of that team. And him and Todai Kefu came to Malaysia for a rugby clinic. That's why I met Todai Kefu and I made friends with him and that's how I got the interview with him for my show, Sunday Learnings with Ben. So when I met Andrew, you know, a big rugby friend, I took a photo with him and he said, I introduced, I mean, someone introduced me and said, oh, I was, I was known in that function, I was, I was known as Ben. I was, I was known as the man because I was the man who was going to give birth, help give birth to global rapid rugby, a new dimension of rugby. And the rugby world is small. Okay, and in that function, which was in January 2020, uh, Andrew said, oh man, I've heard about your rugby competition. What's the major difference between that competition and a normal competition? He said, well, there's less kicking, Andrew. And he just turned around and looked at me in a very sarcastic way. That's a very bad idea. <laughs> and he's a fly half. Okay. That's his job. <laughs> yeah, that's his job. So he's like putting him out of business, you know? So he was like, hmm, I'm not sure if I agree with that one. And you know what, Eugene, we were all very impressed. When I say we, the teams competing in this competition, we were all very impressed that Global Rapid Rugby managed to get sanctioned by World Rugby. Okay? Because at that time, 2019, before the World Cup, rugby was a little bit unsure about the direction it was heading after post-World Cup. There was talks about South Africa joining the Six Nations to make it seven nations. There was talks about Super Rugby being disintegrated. Okay, I mean, disintegrated in terms of being torn apart and they were just playing their, their respective home countries. There was talks about this, there was talks about a global, like a real international rugby super competition. It didn't matter where you were around the world, but like, you know, the the team from Bath could play, you know, the ACT Brownies or the Crusaders or the Blue Bulls from South Africa. And so, there was a lot of agendas being pushed. And Andrew just said, look, I've got Super Rugby right here, waiting, possibly take its place. So he was laughing and having a good time, you know. And, you know, we were all getting excited because even though we probably didn't have as good players as those competitions that I just mentioned, but we were bringing a style of rugby, which we didn't have to be good at that. Uh, the, the typical 15-man rugby of Rocks and rolls, scrumming, line outs, and kicking. Yeah. You know, it was almost like a, a different variation of sevens rugby. You know? So there was huge question marks. And I'll tell you another funny story. In 2019, August, August the 9th, 2019, 
I'll never forget that date because I put a lot of hard work into that date. We played the Western Force in Perth in an exhibition game. They beat us very convincingly, and you know, I mean, and that was a good experience for us in terms of learning the rules and firing the squad up to come back bigger, better, and stronger to beat them and the other teams as well in 2020. But I remember that game was a curtain raiser. Well, when I say curtain raiser, it was played the night before the All Blacks played the Wallabies, and then. Uh, the that night, the so we played at HBF Park. We played the Western Force. We lost by about you know 50 points. And then the next night, the All Blacks played the Wallabies. The Wallabies had a man sent off. I mean, the All Blacks had a man sent off that night. So the and the Wallabies took advantage and won the game. Surprisingly, because the All Blacks were an outstanding in that year and going into the World Cup. And then I remember I was very lucky. Talk, talk about being lucky at the right place at the right time. My flight back, all my South African colleagues headed to Sri Lanka and, and then they had to go back to Johannesburg or to, to Pretoria. Yeah. And then like, I took a flight to Kuala Lumpur. My flight was easier because Kuala Lumpur and Perth is in the same time zone. Yeah. And it's only a five-hour flight. So those, those guys came on an earlier flight and they, I think they left at two o'clock. My flight was at four o'clock. And the 3.30 flight going back to New Zealand just right next to my flight going back to Kuala Lumpur in terms of the terminal was the All Blacks. <laughs> so the All Blacks were sitting, were having a few drinks. I mean, I think it was just soft drinks. They weren't drinking or anything because they had a match the following week. And they were in a pub. I mean, in a, in a restaurant bar type, you know, but they were just drinking water and whatnot. There was Kieran Reed, Aaron Smith, you know, all the big guns there, you know, Sunny Bill Williams, all those guys just sitting down. I'm like, you know, and then like, so I just walked in. I said, "Guys, um, my name is Ben Ibrahim. I'm GM and TM of the Flash uh, Parker. Played the night before the Western Force." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw some of you guys. You know, I said, "Look, I'm sorry to do this, but can I, uh, can I, can I, can I get a photo with you guys?" I said, "Yeah, no worries." And Aaron Smith was the one who was helping. I took a photo, and you know, and then as I was walking back to my to my after saying thank you, as I was walking back to place where I was, was going to take my flight, so All Blacks chased me, said, Ben, 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 are you Russian? I said, no, I'm not Russian. I said, um, you know, what's up, guys? You know, it's usually me that's chasing you. <laughs> said, no, we sat down, you know, sat down for a cup of coffee and said, tell us more about this competition. I won't, I won't tell you who those All Blacks are or were, but they said, they said, because I swore the secrecy, I never, never say anything. And they said, tell us a bit more about this competition. And I just said, gentlemen, why do you ask? You know, I said, look, we want to play rugby forever. Wow. And that means, and they said, you know, rugby is a small world. You know, you're a general manager and a team, team manager of an international rugby competition, which sounds like you have quality in your team. Right now, we can't commit to anything because we're contracted. Yeah. But rugby is a small world. We could be, I said, you could be a boss, boss. So I was like, so I just said, it's funny how you start the conversation when you say you're a general manager and team manager of a rugby. So, you know, and I'm not saying that in an arrogant way. I'm just saying that it's like, wow, you know, it really does change the conversation. Anyway, we, I mean, it was great. And like, even till today, I've still got rugby CVs and showreels being sent to me all the time from top-notch players to your amateur rugby players who are just, who want to be part of it. Right. Uh, regarding the, the numbers uh, of 
when it comes to broadcasting, because you're broadcasting the competition throughout the world, which continent brought the biggest audience? And if you have any surprises of who have, who was the most interested in, in this uh, in this event, in this competition? Yeah. Well, that was the reason we delayed the competition by one year, because we couldn't get the broadcast in time. Right. As you know, that broadcast is everything in, 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 in sports. You don't have broadcast or social media. What's the point? You know? So we got we got a broad every pass and you know, there were some good good commentators that came in, you know, like the likes of the Timmy Horrens and the Phil Kearns, you know, also like I forgot his, his name skips my mind at the moment. Uh, Gordon Bray, you know, those type of guys were doing the commentary for us. So it was like wow. In terms of Australia, the numbers were healthy, and I remember that when we were selecting the match in terms of the time zone, we must have changed it like 10 times, okay? Because in Australia, you know, oh, we can't play it this weekend because the West Coast Eagles and the Fremantle Dockers are playing together that, that each other that weekend. And that's a, those two teams are huge rivals in Australian rules football. It's like the derby of all derbies. It's like Manchester United versus Liverpool, you know? So like, you know, it's like that. Oh, we can't select this time zone because, you know, we want to catch the, the evening audience and everything. So, in in essence, the biggest audience still came from Australia. No surprise there. Yeah. It came from New Zealand. There was a following. And I mean, obviously with Samoa and Fiji, there was a bit of a following as well. Our probably our rating compared to the other five teams was probably the weakest. Because as I say this to people who don't really know Malaysian sport that well, when I say people, people from overseas is that our amateur, our system, our culture, our ecosystem is still an amateur ecosystem. Everything is done on a voluntary basis. We're still, we are still stuck in that paradigm. But with international competitions like global rugby, that will help take our sport, our Malaysian rugby, to the professional era. The only sport in Malaysia that is professional is pretty much football, soccer, hockey, and football, soccer, hockey, a sport called Sepan Takro, which is basically volleyball on legs and badminton. So these four sports. Right. But it's very seasonal. And sport, how it's consumed in this country, it's nothing like how it's consumed in the Western part of the world. And I say that in a very most respectful, factual way. I wish it was, I wish we had our consumers or sports fans were like Australia or how they are in South America with football or the big American football or basketball in America where people will play will pay top dollar for tickets, line up from six o'clock in the morning to midnight to buy those tickets to watch their favorite team play. We don't have that yet. We don't have that yet. Not yet anyway. Only all the only sport you'll see that in is in football. Which sports in, in Malaysia are bringing this kind of behavior to, to the to the fans like where when is the last time you've experienced this in Malaysia well the world has I mean this could be a, a topic in itself but I won't uh, I won't bore you with the details I'll try to create the summary but I haven't seen this you only see this in certain teams football teams in Malaysia like Trungano versus Kuantan two east coast teams huge rivals you know they, they, they could fill the national stadium which is about 80,000 people or, you know, Slango versus Pueblo, or two rivals, they could fill the national stadium. So certain football matches, you would see it, but certain football matches, you won't see it. 
And one thing about us Asians, I always joke with my Western friends, us Asians are about the three Fs of life, which is food. Food is, food is very important to an Asian person. Never ever mess around with an Asian person's appetite or insult and keep them hungry or keep us hungry. Food, finance, which is having a good job so you can put food on the table. Right. And the third thing is family. But I always joke, and nobody ever thought, uh, says I'm incorrect. Us Asian people are so obsessed with something that's free. Okay? So when I walk around with this Malaysia Pumpkin shirt, people will come up to me and go, Oh, nice teacher. Can I have one? You would think they were just joking, but deadly serious. Wow. Okay? So that was part of my marketing plan that when I sold tickets, I was selling with the shirt, and the shirt would come with it. It was <laughs> Malaysia. But I, so that was part of my marketing plan. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, and I must give a big shout out to our sponsor, Torpedo, who's a local brand. And they came into us and said, look, we'll sponsor your uniforms. You don't have to pay us in. We just want the branding. Wow. That's funny. You know? And we're like, thank you. And then like, that was part of the marketing plan, to sell a Torpedo, Malaysia Falk shirt. So and so, so what is the what is the experience if you come to a Malaysian football game? You watch riding rugby, you have family, it's, you, know, you you have seen international players, you know, yeah, and uh, that's what Andrew sold in, in Western Force and It's all about family. If you were to walk into a Western Force game, there would be castles, there would be face painting with children, animals, horse rides, you know, models uh, walking around, clowns walking around for the children. So that's what Andrew's philosophy was all about. So. He was trying to replicate the philosophy in every region. And he said to us, or his people said to us, he said, look, the halftime show, it doesn't have to be cheerleaders jumping up and down like they do in Perth. It's your cultural dance. If it's a Muslim dance, if it's a Buddhist dance, if it's a, you know, a Tamil dance, then so be it. You are, we are showing the culture of Asia through the eyes of global rugby. That is really cool. So it was some exciting, innovative time with my friend in terms of what we were trying to do for the sport. It was not just about the rugby. It was about the values that rugby stood on the pitch and off the pitch, which is respect for the person's culture and country. Now, that's 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 really cool. And I um, appreciate you sharing the, the insights of uh, this awesome competition. Uh, ben, also on this podcast, we're talking about because it's really designed for young guys and gals who want to work in sports and, you know, help them with opportunities, increase their chances as well. And, you know, get them um, a little bit of uh, push to get them uh, into into in the, the industry. Uh, what would be what would be your uh, top advice for uh, for these young guys and gals who want to um, get into this highly competitive industry? And we can make it even more fun. We can we can address it to the Asian, um, Asian Asian audience. No, it's it's a question that I think about all the time in my TV career. How did I get into TV? How did that first Hollywood actor or actress stumble across their first big gig? You know, whether it was Batwoman or the TV show I'm watching right now, Superman and Lewis. You know, or just being this extra waitress in Friends or whatever TV show is popular. It's the same in sport because, especially in the Western countries, like your Manchester United's, your Barcelona's, your LA Lakers, your probably your Western Force, your All Blacks, 
those springboks. They've got an army of people who would eat a glass to work, wanting to work for them. But you're not going to get there overnight. Okay? You have to build the time. You have to build your relationships. Now, it's really funny that we're talking about these topics. It's a very good question that you brought, brought up. A lot of Westerners, when they come to Malaysia and work in our sports industry, like to be a coach or to be an exercise physiologist or biomechanics, they always say to me, you know, um, you, you Asians are all about trust, isn't it? I said, <laughs> so are you guys. Yep. I said, and, and then I remember this, this, coach, this coach said to me, well, you guys don't hire people who are better than you. I said, neither do you. I said, you're telling me. I mean, I know this, I'm sorry, I'm being blunt here. If I'm offending anybody, I'm sorry. But this is the way the industry works. I don't bullshit. Okay, I tell the truth. In a very respectful way, now forgive me if I use the word BS, but you know, um, but it is what it is. You know, like, are you telling me, like, I speak to a lot of, because I do a lot of basketball commentary, whenever I speak to people who work in the NBA, I said, what's the number one skill that you need in basketball, NBA basketball, to win the trust of the NBA coach? What kind of trust? The trust that you're not going to throw him under the bus to get his job. The trust that if he hired you for defense, you stick to defense and not try to be an expert. If you stick, you go hire for conditioning, stick to conditioning. You're hired for media and public affairs, stick to media and public affairs. Okay? Win his trust. You will get your time. You know? But some people are impatient. They want to get there very quickly. So I said, okay. So I, I always throw that story back at those people who say to me, you Asians are all about trust. I said, so are you guys. You know, yeah. I mean, you. I mean, there, there, there's a world out there in recruitment and HR or, or in the working world called chemistry. You have that chemistry because you know I'm going to be number one and you're going to be number two, and you're happy to be number two and I'm happy to be number one. You know, Jose Mourinho when he met his I can't remember his name, the Portuguese guy as well. Jose Mourinho when he met his assistant coach who was who was the assistant coach with him at Porto, at Chelsea, at Manchester United. They got along extremely well. Why? Because this story was told to me by some of the guys who work with Jose Mourinho. Is it because they've got this understanding? I will be your number two. You don't have to be worried about getting anybody else because I'll be your number two for life. Unfortunately for Jose, he had dreams to become the number one, so that's why he left. And he's now in Qatar. And he's apparently doing very, very well. Okay? So that is the advice I would give for young people. Don't be, I mean, build your time. Build your time. I interviewed Renee Naylor for my Sunday Learning Show. Watch that interview. And she, I mean, she speaks very well and she's very eloquent, very intelligent person. She said, look, I didn't get to the Springboks job just like that. I had to do those volunteer jobs. Okay? I had to be those, you know, the water person who was just carrying the bandages. Then I won the trust. And she had to work triply harder than anybody else because she's a woman, you know? And that's, 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 that's just a fact. So I remember one TV presenter said, said to me once, he goes, and I mean, I was been in the industry for seven, eight years. I, I said to him, mate, I think his name was Duncan. He said, Duncan, how did you get your first gig? My first few jobs were doing it for free. I interned at the radio station for free. Yep. I poured beers at night after my nine to, nine to six production jobs so I could pay the bills, you know? Because these guys will select you, whether they are the Steve Hansons of this world, the you know, Rassi Erasmus or whoever, you know, 
They'll select you because, yes, they think you're competent, but they will select you because they can trust you, okay? And that tr trust takes TNT. Trust takes time. If after a certain amount of time, like three years, they're just still making you pour water, then it's time to move on, okay? So I'm sorry if I'm trying to sound bombastic and altruistic, but I'm very passionate about that particular topic in life. No, absolutely. Everything takes time. And it's it's difficult to put a time limit on something, especially when it comes to something you want to do for the, for your entire life, you know, and like you want to do something to build something that you'll do until your last day. And, you know, it takes time. I, I agree. And definitely the, you know, uh, the more time you spend for it, the more sustainable it's going to be. So uh, I'm with you on this one. Ben, uh, I invite you to get to play with me the hot stone. It's the... The um, one of the last things of the of each episode where uh, you know I ask different interesting and tricky questions to get to know the audience to know you more and what you like and what you don't like and um, yeah Are you you ready all right hot fire we call this the uh, the fire what's that called the the fireplace questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the hot stone with uh, Ben Abraham starts now. Ben, what's your favorite rugby player of all time? Has to be a toss-up between Chester Williams and the late, uh, the late Chester Williams and the late James Small. Okay, and who is your favorite coach, rugby coach? Ooh, I would, I would have to say, my favorite rugby coach of all time is probably Nick Mallet. But uh, because of my experience with the Falcon, my favorite rugby coach is. Rudy Hubert, who is our head coach. <laughs> and it's really funny, Rudy Hubert was a video analyst specialist coach for the 1995 Springbok victorious team that won, that beat the All Blacks 15 It's It's funny, I believe from that uh, from that area was all this analysts thing going on. Because right now, like we have a country that are not even doing this kind of thing, but it's, it's really funny to, to hear that. Um, what is... The most favorite place that you have ever visited in the world? Rugby or non-rugby? Um, in general. In general. My most favorite place. Wow, mate. That is a super, super cracking, tough question. I would probably say the greatest place I ever went to is Henley. In terms of the Royal Henley Rowing Regatta in England. Okay. I went there in 2000. 2000 2002. Yes, it was a no, no, 2001. It was a graduation present for my mother saying, okay, you finish your degree. It's a nice overseas holiday. And I went to Handy with a few friends. And, you know, it was really, really great that, you know, I'm a big growing guy. I'm not a big growing guy, but I'm a huge growing buff. I, I was into it, coaching, doing all sorts of things. A lot of volunteer jobs with growing. And it's an amateur sport. So to see the world's very best growers. In, in that place in Henley, in Eton, uh, you know, in Henley, which is about an hour and a half from England. You know, it was very private school, you know, everybody dressed up and everything, but seeing the very best athletes in my sport in that, that place for four or five days, I had the time of my life. Awesome. Uh, what's your most favorite rugby venue in the world? Ooh, rugby venue. Okay. I haven't been to too many, I'll be very honest, but... I would have to say HBF Park. I'm again very biased. HBF Park in Perth. Uh, I've never, as a team manager, I've lost 
on that ground twice. <laughs> okay, but my dream in and I, this is why I want to think this alive is going as hard as possible. My dream is to win there one day, and whether it's beating the Western Force or beating someone else, I want to win on that ground where I made my team manager debut. <laughs> That's really cool. Ben, who is one person in this world that inspires you? One person in this world that inspires me. That's a really, that's a really, really tough question. I suppose, I, I suppose that, I know this is a bit cliche to say, but I have a wife and two very young children. So the three of us, we are very loving. We have a wonderful relationship. I'm surprised they have stormed into that room right now and said, can we watch this? Can we watch that? Because it's a Friday night here in Kuala Lumpur. But they inspire me. They, my wife is very supportive, even though she doesn't know much about sport. She's very supportive that she knew that I had to go through hell and high water to, become, to have a career in sport, as I've explained earlier. And my two children, you know, are very much a reflection of me. And I try to be, and nothing, no disrespect to my parents. I, I try, I still am traditional, but in certain things, but I want to be flexible. So I remember someone once said in sport, I'm a very different opposite parent to my parents because I, we live in a, in a day and age where mental health is a top topic. You know, emotions, suicide and all that is very, is something, depression is very much talked about. So I work very hard to be sensitive and open about those topics and to be extremely positive with them all the time. So, and it's not easy. Yeah. It is not easy, especially with COVID, especially with the way our Asian culture is. We're very traditional, we're very old school, but you try to, and you're not trying to become a Westerner, you're not trying to become someone else. You're just trying to be open-minded and have a growth mindset. And those are the two things that rugby and sports has taught me. That's cool. Uh, ben, and what motivates you to push hard every day? AKA, what's your why? Well, just to become better. Just to become better. I mean, I, fatherhood has taught me my favorite phrase these days. When the, I mean, Kyla, my daughter, is turning eight next Sunday. My son, Kyla, is turning four, five at the end of the year. So my favorite line is, Hard work makes the dream one. Okay? And that's a quote I've got from basketball because I'm also a big basketball fan. Right. But, uh, and, you know, today there's a very, very big, famous international rowing guy called the head of the schoolgirls. And I coached schoolgirls once upon a time in Australia. There was a slogan saying, pain is temporary, pride is forever. So that's what I preach to the children all the time. But my latest, sorry to say, was preaching or sharing, I should say, to the children is like, because they will come up to me and say, look, I made a mistake. And I said, oh, well, it's not, the, I said, it's not the end of the world. Look at it as a positive. What do you take out of the miss? That's why they call it mistake. So own your mistakes. Don't blame other people. And just try to be better than what you were yesterday. And I know, I know that sounds very inspirational and whatever, and cliche, whatever. But I do preach a continuous improvement mantra to the children every day. And if I'm not preaching it, I'm a hypocrite. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm a hypocrite, Thank you again for, for uh, sharing your awesome story. You truly have an, an awesome story. And I'm really grateful uh, for having someone from, uh, from uh, Asia coming and joining the pod. And uh, 
of course, uh, looking forward to to keep this co- this uh, this uh, connection and this conversation going. I would I would also encourage one more time uh, t- uh, the the audience, the listeners of this pod, to uh, to go and check out the Sunday Learnings uh, by Ben Ibrahim, and go uh, go follow Ben on all social platforms. They're going to be in the in the episode notes. And uh, Ben, thanks again for taking the time to join the uh, the pod and share your awesome story. Well, Eugene, thank you so much for having me, my friend. I hope to continue our friendship and relationship. I'll be definitely inviting you for some rugby and life stories on my other platforms, which I'll be starting very soon. So keep in touch. And you know, this is a start for a very beautiful friendship. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. That's it. Episode's over. Now go leave a rate and review on the platform you're listening to this pod. If you got a lot of value, it really means a lot to the pod. It helps grow and also get in front of more and bigger audience. Thank you so much. Please share with this with your friends, with your family, and everyone you know who might get value out of it. Yeah, guys, we're back on it. And I'm really excited for the next episode already. So until next time, stay safe and peace out.